Welcome to the Beer in a Movie podcast, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am Dave Gurney and here with me is Joe Hilliard and Carlos Cooper. All right, guys, what are we here to uh, do this week? Well, first of all, let me say I missed you guys last week, but I did <sighs> listen to your Joker episode, and I thought that bringing in Anthony... Two weeks friend- ago. Two weeks, yeah, because we, we had the... Uh, sort oh, you're of right, you're right. Now. Two weeks ago, I thought bringing in Anthony, a, uh, a psychologist, yep. uh-huh. was yep. a stroke of genius from and that he, movie. He, Good job. But since we all got together, we did appear on our one of our local television stations together for the very first time, the three of us on TV... Yes. And we posted a link to that video up on our Facebook page. So if you check it out, and Carlos, you will remember the, t- the name of the Facebook page yeah. better than I would. Facebook.com slash beer in a movie. You can see our T-I-T-X. beautiful faces. You can see our mouths move when we speak. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with uh, one of the local anchor guys who may appear on a future episode. It was like uh, it was like the wizard from Wizard of Oz coming out from behind That's right. his curtain. That's right. Right. We, uh, uh, yeah, that, God, that, that, that damn breaks it, they're the illusion, doesn't it? I That's does. not a good thing. Uh-oh. Yeah, everybody who thought like there were these like confident ruggedly yes ruggedly (laughs) handsome men behind these all right but this is an episode where we discuss beer and movies let's get right to it so first in that equation is beer yeah as the title would suggest and i'm Uh, thirsty (laughs) so this um is a monumentous occasion is it not i think that it is this is our hundredth brewery all that right. we're about to tap right now. We have been to 100 breweries around the country and around the world. And this one is from Akron, Ohio. It is Hoppin' Frog. And this is their barrel-aged Doris the Destroyer. And that stands for Double Oatmeal Russian Imperial Stout. Wow, it's, it's a So lot it's of a Double words. Imperial Stout. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Ring the bell. 100. 100 brewery. <laughs> uh, it's a stout aged in whiskey barrels, and the description oh. of it is aged in bourbon whiskey barrels to add a wonderful complexity to our massive American double imperial stout. This barrel aging imparts memorable buttery, vanilla-like, and savory whiskey character, making this one of our most complex beers we've ever brewed. Mm. Another testament to our hard work and dedication in bringing our customers the very best. It comes in at 10.5%, nice. uh, 70 IBU. Um here we go. All right. And it's, I don't know how do you guys feel about this double imperial. Get, are, we, are we getting over the top there? Because we've talked a little bit about this idea of, you know, a double is you're kind of like doubling the malt bill. You're, you're bringing up the uh, the sugars that Whoa. the yeast has to work with. That's a and thick so, boy. Is that a gusher? Oh, a thicker. Okay. Uh-huh. A thick, thick, uh, viscous. Three C's. Motor oil. Um, but but then, you know, Imperial tends to say the same thing, right? That you're upping the malt bill. Right. And so double are Imperial, it, are we kind of, yeah, right? That, I mean, 10.5%, we could just call it an Imperial. Yeah, I, I guess think so. I, I think it's more because they want the acronym. I they, think, I think they wanted the acronym, acronym. And I also think yeah. that there is probably a, Ooh. and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, there is a lack of uh, legislation or, or rules when it comes to marketing. You can kind of call it anything. Well, then I like that. I want there to be freedom Certainly, in there. But it's a double Imperial whiskey. <laughs> so I, I, I'm I don't, I don't getting, really care as long as it tastes that. good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it smells like heaven in a glass. It's got that boozy uh, aroma that usually accompanies the barrel aging. And, and I chocolatey, roasty, chocolatey for sure. I mean, almost like that. Uh, 
leather and mahogany. You know, when you get that really rich, like, I mean, I just feel like I'm, I'm slipping into somebody's cigar room. I think with cigars or wine or beer, it comes with experience. The first time you taste something like this, it might be overwhelming because you've only had a Bud Light or a Miller Light in your oh, life. Yeah. But when you continue, practice makes perfect, boys. Practice makes perfect. Keep drinking. Last year I took, uh, it was like probably around December, I took a uh, Bourbon County stout mm-hmm. to uh, a gathering and most of the people I gave it to were like, whoa, like, <laughs> yeah. what is it? And I was, <laughs> yeah. it was more normal to me. Yeah. You said this is a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, re- I remember something similar when I had a friend when we were in Maine visiting. This was quite a few years back. And we were hanging out with a, a bunch of family who really weren't beer drinkers. And a friend of ours came by and he worked for a distributor up there. And he brought us. Oh my God, I realize I'm about to. This actually kind of segues us into our store, uh, a news item. But, uh, you know, the founder's KBS. Okay. No, (laughs) right. It's got a taint to it now. But at the time, right? Still young and naive here. (laughs) I did say taint. Uh, But KBS is like. Much sought after, you know, limited release beer, aged in bourbon barrels, very rich, viscous, you know. And I remember him bringing that 12-ounce bottle, and later in the evening, you know, I opened it up, and I poured everybody, like, a little, you know, an ounce or two or whatever. And there's, and it just, it was that kind of reaction where it's like, oh, my God, this is beer? Oh, it's crazy, This isn't beer in any way. But that, I kind of set us up here. You know, one recent item that we were looking at in the news recently um, Founders is kind of going through this lawsuit, and they're a brewery that in the past I've really appreciated their output. Yeah, I mean, their Centennial IPA is a solid everyday IPA. I don't know that I've ever had an IPA from them, but their breakfast out yeah. is like kind of it a makes bench, those lists. A benchmark of right you know, the backwoods is, bastard. That, yeah, that's that's one that I've had. I, over. I even really love the Rubeus, especially yeah. on nitro. Like yeah. I think that's a great like raspberry ale, but. Fuck those people. But yeah, it, 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 it <laughs> seems like they have a real. Uh... It was it was bad enough when that story first broke, where there was like this discrimination issue that they were facing, and ton of bad press. But it just seems like they're doubling down on being shitty now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the most recent one was like f- what founders CEO or president or something right. didn't know employee was black or something. Well, he just <laughs> refused to answer the question uh, that, that this is an African American. Well, or it's not an African American. He, he, he re- answered it. He just said I didn't. I wasn't aware. You know I wasn't what I, aware. Yeah. Like you saw him. Where yes. you, you worked with this gentleman. You noticed it, his skin was darker. Yes. But also, like the line of questioning was like, "Do you recognize that Barack Obama was African American? Do you recognize that you know?" Well, and Michael they were, Jordan. Michael Jordan, right? And he would not cop to right. So have, that's some kind of crazy defense that he's trying. Well, to do. yeah, he's just trying not to have to say yes. And well, he's trying to incriminate himself. Trying, like I have no awareness of racial difference. And I that, don't see color. I can't possibly discriminate on the basis of it because I don't. See, what the an ass! Weakest, flimsiest, mm-hmm. and most disingenuous defense that I've ever seen mounted. So apparently, well, we, do you ex- we all have to go drain pour our uh, well, KBS holdings. Yeah. Do you do <laughs> that, or do you rely on a company to say we have made mistakes, get rid of those that have, and then allow them to be a business again? Or are we going to be the the, the well that I mean I mean that the, depends, old, the boycotters? Well, that depends on how they handle the situation. I personally am not a strong advocate of cancel culture. I think it's, you know, uh, more harmful than it is beneficial in the long term. Uh, but 
if you are a company that is experiencing these problems and refuses to acknowledge them and continue with your bad behavior, then yes, like I'm not going to buy your product. So like if you are complicit in racism, then yes, I'm not going to buy your product. We're not going to buy founders until they clean up their act. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel that way. I, Fine and with I, me. And like Carlos, you know, the, I don't believe in just this, you, you make a mistake, you're gone for life. I don't, you know, but it, it does seem like at least their general manager here, it's Dominic Ryan, who's who's the manager who's being, you know, uh, quoted as, as making these terrible, disingenuous uh, responses to these questions that, you know, until somebody from the company comes out and takes some ownership of this and sort of maybe gets rid of Ryan. I don't know. But, you know, does something to repair the reputation here. I think it'll be easy because, I mean, there's so many options in the craft beer world right now. If there's just one brewery that I don't pay attention to and that's them, that's okay. And if you don't know what this story is all about, if by the time this episode comes out, you can go find it on our Facebook page. Yeah, we will post a link so that you can... uh do your due diligence, read up on it, see how you feel about it. Maybe leave a comment in the comment section. Um, are you complicit in racism or, you, <laughs> or not? I, don't yeah, know. I want to see people saying like, I am complicit in racism. <laughs> I, I too did not understand but he was the, an African-American gentleman. But the second news item. What before, color is this beer? I don't know. <laughs> Looks like a pale ale. <laughs> is this a blonde stout? I don't know. <laughs> uh, the second news item before we launch into our uh, proper film discussion. Uh, Marvel movies are despicable. Says Francis Ford Coppola, director of Despicable Me Three. He's no, uh, no. That that would be great though if they got some. No, it, um, it would be really funny. Yeah. Um, so well, he but he using the term despicable um, to to sort of uh, help defend his buddy Scorsese. Martin Scorsese, who in a recent interview was asked about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and his response was basically that isn't cinema. We're, yeah. we're not we're not talking about cinema. I have. Very mixed feelings about this. In reading, well, obviously, you're, you, of all of us, you're the one who's come down the hardest on comic book films. This is true. And I read uh, a little bit about what Francis Ford Coppola said, and um, I wish I had pulled it up before I started talking, but I didn't. And he said something along the lines of, like, you know, going to the movies, watching films should challenge you. It should make you think. It should leave you questioning things that maybe you thought before. It should like, be some kind of thought. Is Robin Williams really a small child? Just trapped in it. Yes. Um, you know, and it should, you know, it should provoke conversation and thought and, you know, uh, pertinent social, you know, issues yeah, of the yeah. time and things like that. And those movies don't really do that at all. Like, Except we're even, having a conversation right now about it. <laughs> I mean, sure, not the way are, he wants it to be. Not yeah, the, yes, sure, we yeah. are having a conversation about it. But if we're having a like a a really, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Yeah, no, I, I'll I mean, tell you that like I believe in a well balanced diet, and and I also believe that words have descriptions and meanings, and and by the very definition of cinema as opposed to a movie, the Marvel movies are not cinema. I, I don't think that Martin Scorsese did anything or said anything incorrect, and I think that because they're so staggeringly popular and because everyone's going to take everything personally when maybe that they shouldn't, then now we've got a f- trumped-up bullshit news cycle about Martin Scorsese is slamming Marvel movies. Yeah, I mean, they're pop music. Like, I, like Taylor Swift is pop well, music, and Taylor Swift doesn't make me dance. But Taylor Swift makes other people dance, mm-hmm. and the Marvel movies are the same way. Mm-hmm. Like 
that's the most popular yeah. mainstream form of you know movie entertainment that there is that's and just because right. i'm not dancing to it doesn't mean you can't dance to mm. it but i had a harder stance. but that's a very different reaction than what they are having yeah i think right i, I mean when i read you know the, uh just I, I pulled up uh you know a quote from coppola here you know he's when martin scorsese says that the marvel pictures are not cinema he's right because we expect to learn something from cinema That's we it. expect to gain something some enlightenment some knowledge some inspiration I don't know that anyone gets anything out of seeing the same movie over and over again. Which is exactly now, what I said. Now, it's the, they're all the same movies. But how hypocritical is it for fil- two filmmakers who really established themselves on a very tired genre, the gangster genre, that yeah. we have seen since you know, classical Hollywood cinema Mm -hmm. for decades and decades. Now, again, we can talk about how they brought new things to it. We can talk about it. But the basic story of organized crime has been told over and over and over again. And are you, because you're in that genre and it's big, tough dudes who have guns (laughs) and who... Have, well, the other one's big, tough dudes with guns, but yeah, the but guns they have aren't guns, superpowers. Yeah, no, instead. no, no. It's I mean, like, exactly, right? So, like, to me, you're splitting hair. I get, I get the feeling that, okay, there's something, you know, again, like a specific film, but I feel like to cast aside an entire genre, yeah. and we've looked at enough of these films here on the podcast and, and talked about enough of them that I feel like I can say very confidently that there are things to be found there that are, if not enlightening, at least thought-provoking and and worthy of discussion and that bring people together and all that. So I don't know. I, I just, I hate it when other, when when anybody, any artist in any medium, but, but here we're talking about film, any filmmaker comes out and says like, what those people do is invalid and just paint with a broad brush and say, that's despicable, that's not worthy of attention. To me, that's, well, I don't, my, my, to me, this is a cry for attention from old men. <laughs> I don't think I, Scorsese was trying to get, get attention. I think he was just having an honest moment in an interview, and that was the line that got uh, uh, isolated. And, Coppola uh, and now, now Coppola, yeah. in defense of his buddy, is coming out with a much harder yeah. stance. I, and, and, I, and I disagree that they're despicable. They may not be for you. Just like Carlos, you're saying, I'm kind of done with that for now mm-hmm. until someone... Co- and I think, I think what you're saying is, but I will go see The Joker because at least in the um, marketing for it, I'm, I am maybe going to have a more, if you will, cinematic experience, yeah. deeper analyzation of what might be tired tropes otherwise. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that delivered exactly for you in that specific experience, but... No, but that's what I wanted. Right. That's I, why I went. I think Coppola's looking for media attention, whereas yeah. Scorsese's like, whoa, I just said the sentence in an interview. I wasn't really looking for a whole fight with anybody. Go, yeah, yeah. Probably go like the movies that you want to go like. I, yeah. I agree with what David was saying about the gangster movie uh, analogy, and I did see that criticism, and I, I do agree that they are not the people that should be making this argument. I don't think that them making this argument holds a lot of water. But if like the Safdie brothers came out and said this isn't cinema, I'd be like, "Fuck yeah, you're right. What you guys do is cinema, <laughs> like you know, or something like, or somebody like that, you know, yeah. that's doing more, you know, even if like David Lowry did it, or like somebody that's yeah. in, more in the indie space and that's right. doing more inventive things with film, uh, then I would be like, "Yep, I'm right behind you. I will 
go to the front lines yeah. and battle with well, you and, on this and topic. I will and I you know we've we've talked before but I will certainly have the discussion about is this taking up too much of the oxygen in the in the theatrical marketplace and that is I think a worthy discussion to have like I don't want it to be so dominant that those are the only films that we get to see in the in the multiplexes but that's a whole different, you know, sort of... Yeah, See, I, now you get into the psychology of the audience, and you get into the psychology of who will put money down to make movies. And while these movies continuously, one after the other, make a billion dollars apiece, that is what you're going to be seeing. Yeah. yeah it is a, an economic a, equation. There's, mm-hmm. there's a whole other discussion we have. Well, we could talk about this all night. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyhow, but, you know, hit, hit us up. Let, let us know what you think. Uh, yeah, if you get any if, film if, news if you, in your in your film feed, in your in your news feed, you've seen these stories. So we definitely wanted to take a moment and, and yeah. give, our, to give our take. Sorry For to interrupt sure. you, David. No, that's that's exactly what I wanted to say. No, so, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> What's the movie we're talking about? So yes, Let's get finally, into it. You've you know, seen it in the title of this episode already, right? So so we're actually going back to a well, now it's a series uh, that uh, we we touched on just a few episodes back. I should have looked up the number of the episode, but when we reviewed The Dead Don't Die, our companion film that time was Zombieland, right? And uh, the sequel to Zombieland has just been released. Zombieland Double Tap. Double Tap. And I know we're eager to get into the film, but in a otherwise naked horror landscape yeah. for October of 2020. We, yeah. we said, if you listened to our episode last week, know that we pulled that out of the can. We had recorded that months prior. In like mm-hmm. August almost. And we had made kind of a little gentleman's agreement here at the table that we would do nothing but horror films yeah. in October of 2020. Uh-huh. It's been difficult to do because there yeah. frankly aren't any to see in theatrical release anyway. Yeah, and I mean, Black Christmas isn't coming out till later, which clearly is more marketed right. Count, towards Countdown Christmas. comes out yeah. this week, which, which I, don't, yeah. I don't know how excited, but it is a, it is a horror it film. Doctor Sleep, I think, comes out the 30th. There, uh, I, I thought that was in November, actually. It may be. It is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think out of my I, ass, excuse me. Well, no, I just, I mean, I remember being surprised when I saw, like, why aren't they putting that out October. a week earlier <laughs> and getting it in October? But I don't know if the concern is, is that the marketplace is just dead to October onslaught of well, horror films now, Well, in the or? absence of a proper horror film, this is what we had. That's and I, I was I was eager to watch it because we enjoyed the first Zombieland so much. Yeah. Yeah, and prior to watching this movie, I listened to Woody Harrelson's episode of WTF, right. which, David, I'm sure you might have I listened did. to as yes. well. Yep. And in that episode, he discusses that this sequel has been in the works for years and years and years mm-hmm. and most scripts that he was given for it in the first page he's like okay this needs rewrites like before he even yeah. hit page two he's like this needs rewrites and it wasn't until the original writers came back and kind of you know worked a script that understood the characters and all that kind of stuff and so i went and saw it and i went with my mom who had not seen zombie land as recently as i had and when we were leaving the theater she was like how do you feel that that uh, continued the first film's narrative or whatever. Yeah. And I think it just picked up perfectly where it left off. That, uh, you know, it, th- this was a sequel that was in service of the characters that made the original work. And there were a lot of things that I think they could have overdone in the movie. They could have definitely done the, hey, do you remember what we did last time thing way too mm-hmm. much? And the only times they referenced the original were times that were effective and that were kind of just like, hey, this, we're moving on. You know, they didn't harp on it too much. They didn't try to recreate the original in a certain way. And it was 
a development of the original premise. It went in a, you know, new-ish kind of interesting direction. And it was exactly what it set out to be. And that was a fun horror comedy zombie movie. I looked it up while you were talking, Carlos. You can hear our review of Zombieland, the original episode 43. Okay. 43, with the dead don't die. Correct. Ginger Moose shuts up. Um, I would say this. One of my favorite sequences in the entire movie was the opening credits. Where they kind Columbia? of very eco- economically give you everything you need to know if, you, if that. you have not seen the first film. And that's them slow-mo walking up to the White House, yeah. kicking all of the zombies' asses. To master a, a puppet. To master, to master a puppet. That, that was nice. Good. In that, a very that, that gory a way. There sequence. are four characters. Here they, are. Here they are. Here are their personalities. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was just fun. Before that, though, Go ahead. the Columbia Pictures logo. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah, that, that for a second. That was I cool. mean, just from the second. You, you don't, don't even usually get... mess with that. That's like verboten to mess with that iconic structure yeah. of those of the lady holding the torch. But when yeah. something like that happens, before you even get into the movie, you that know sets the tone yeah. for the film. Right. Before well, the, what, the film has even started. Well, so like, what happened? I, the Columbia Pictures lady starts getting attacked by attacked by zombies, takes mm. her torch down, beats the fuck out of them, and then goes and back then to her normal her, position. Yeah, and then yeah. the film starts, and it sets the tone so perfectly for what the rest of the film you're going to see right. is. And it's little touches like that, little mm-hmm. attention to detail by a filmmaker that can really make a movie-going experience more enjoyable. And I was going to say, I almost had forgotten how much I enjoyed the original Zombieland until I got to see Woody Harrelson make his funny faces in those slow-motion killing sequences in the opening credits that I I, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. I, I hope I'm right. Yeah. 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 And it was. You had fun, didn't you? Uh, it, it, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, David? But I did think that was a great opening. It, and just to, uh, a little callback here, we talked about Smokey and, and the Bandit. That has one of those great openings where the 20th Century Fox, uh, you know, uh, logo or whatever gets the car chase around it. So that yeah. the, the, there have been precedents for that, but it's always fun when a film does it. It shows you right off the bat, this is, this is a good time. This yeah. isn't something that you need to think too deeply about. Um, Smoking the Bandit episode 31. There you go. Thank this you, This is Joe. what we're doing. Yeah. So th- I agree. I, lo- I love the opening. Now... It was a live episode, wasn't it? There it was, was the very first There's a lot. Like, like you say, this pretty much picks up seamlessly. We get our, you know, core uh, quartet of characters here um, as they've taken over the White House as their, you know, home. And That would be a safe place to live, you'd imagine? Right, you'd yeah. think. And so, you know, they're there, but, you know, pretty quickly, you know, characters leave and we get on the road and they're in, and it, so it takes on some of the same patterns of the first one where you have these people out on the road looking for new vehicles, new weapons, all that kind of stuff. Um, purpose, meaning. Purpose, meaning, right. And who, yeah, who they are in this now post-apocalyptic world and, and, and what it means to, to be with other people. So, you know, a, lo- a lot of the same things go in there. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I, I have... You know uh, a lot of things, and I and I think we should talk about some of the specific, um, you know, gags and, uh, and and moments that we maybe loved about it. If I had anything that maybe kept me from feeling that it hit the same high as the first one, because I do remember the first one. And I think when we talked about it a few episodes back, I really enjoyed seeing that film. It was kind of unexpectedly mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. Um, when I, I saw I, it. I agree. They it, were doing something new with something right, very Right, and part of that was introducing these characters, getting to know them. Well, here you don't get that opportunity, right? Yeah. You know these characters already. You don't get to build them. They do introduce a few new ones. Zoe Deutsch comes in as uh, Madison. So good. She's good. The character's pretty good. 
but it got stale and tired after a while. I disagree. I, I wouldn't say stale and tired, but it's it was no, one note. Okay, oh, yeah. that that I will say. It's not the same kind of. You don't get the same kind of bonding between the characters and her as you do with, say, you know, Columbus and Tallahassee in the first one, or yeah. any, really any. So she's not quite as strong a character, but a very well done one. I mean, I think a nice one. And then, you know, you get the Rosario Dawson character, <sighs> I can't remember her name. Um, Nevada. Nevada, thank you. Um, which I really liked, but underutilized. Like, I wanted more of her in the film, if any, like, okay. I, less Zoe Deutsch, more Rosar- Rosario Dawson. I they kind of got equal billing. Maybe bit. equal billing, but not as much screen time. No, well, yeah, Zoe, Do- yeah, she was. Oh, well, that's what I mean. Is right uh, similar. I, th- I yeah. think they had similar screen. Well, time. anyway, but, well, but I, I Rosario told, Dawson. I would, Dawson was a utility character yeah. in the strictest sense right. of what that right. means. Sure. Yes. So I don't know. I feel like yes, they brought in a few new elements, a few new characters, and then obviously this big utopian commune yeah. thing that that I think was group pretty sex? funny. Group sex. <laughs> right. No. No group sex. Wait. We can break <laughs> it. Well, yeah. Well, you you get into some potentially interesting um, social commentary about guns and violence, but right. before we get there, you've skipped over, I thought... You're going to talk about Luke Wilson. An inventive oh, little... Th- that was a great... ...portion yeah. where you see the doppelgangers... I don't like you. ...of Woody Harrelson all. and Jesse Eisenberg's character as they... Uh, down, Albuquer- to, down to Albuquerque the haircuts. and Flagstaff. Yeah, down to the haircuts, down to the, sta- uh, down to the hats, and I was so glad the rules, that they the died the way that they did. Yeah, you're right. Jesse Eisenberg, his rules. And, of course, you see, down just like you did in the very first film, the idea of, of, of showing those... Uh, yeah. rules on the screen and inventive fonts. Which I love and, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of do that too. That is part of the actual three-dimensional world. Right, that we're right. In. so Jesse Eisenberg's doppelganger had, doesn't have rules, he has commandments, and they start <laughs> challenging and trying to one-up each other. Well, but they, but they but, are. God dang, he, that's right. Why did I think of that? Of course right, teamwork right. is first. The beauty is that they, they really appreciate each other. And yeah. I mean, right. like, so of course Tallahassee and Albuquerque, the the two macho, you know, tough yeah. guy, western tough guys. They're having they, dick measuring They have contacts. to, exactly. Yeah. Whereas the two nebbishy, uh, you know, uh, neurotic. They both, they both uh, fake doing the shot. <laughs> right, like they love each other. But then they're dispatched yeah. really well. They get bit in a fight, and then they get to die, which so, I thought was a really good way to bring that in and then kind of get rid of it. Yeah, no. exactly. And I I was talking to Josh uh, about this earlier today mm-hmm. when our shifts were changing over. I was, t- I, you know, he asked me how it was, and I told him it was really good and that the, there were some things that I was concerned about from the trailer that they executed really well and that i'm glad that you you know came back to that because that was one of the things when i saw the trailer i was like this is funny but i don't think it's going to be funny for much longer than what we see in the trailer right and so the fact and i was really afraid that that was going to be like the whole film is like them riding yeah, together or yeah. whatever. and the fact that they came in they did their thing they made their jokes and then they got out was a perfect execution of that like comedic bit and I'm glad they didn't, because, you know, a lot of times when writers think of something funny, they're like, we're going to get the most out of this yeah. that we can. But they were just like, you know what? We've got so much material to work with here. We're just going to get in and we're going to get out and we're going to move on. I thought the Zoe, the Zoe Deutsch character was really good. And I think, have you guys been watching The Politician on Netflix? No, I'm yeah, afraid I, not. I, I know. So I think one of the reasons that I liked her as much as I did is because Zoe Deutsch plays a character in The Politician that is just about as 
much the antithesis of that character she's got range i mean i don't know if you all saw the film flower from a couple years ago i did not but i highly recommend it and uh she was great in it and not exactly the polar opposite but a very intelligent like sort of an actress to keep an eye on she's going somewhere you know i think so she's the daughter of leah thompson and Howard Deutsch. Okay. So okay. You, you remember Leah Thompson, yeah. Back to the Future, and, and yeah. Howard Deutsch, who and was Space the, Camp, Come di- on. right? <laughs> the director who uh, he directed her in a couple films, and I'm trying to think of it. But anyway, she comes from a film family and has obviously been acting from an early Everything age. I needed to know, and you know, this ages me uh, about Leah Thompson, what I needed to find out in All the Right Moves. But let's move on. She, I, I think, I just think that Zoe Deutsch has this very kind of natural on-screen kind of presence and charisma and everything about her performance in Zombieland and, you know, as well in The Politician Room, but it all just seems very natural and effortless and the fact that, at least for me, that she can go between those two kind of extremes with the same amount of, from our perception ease, is impressive. I know we all want to talk about one more thing, but before we do, let me just a little bit of water on the fire. I, I felt like because I enjoyed the first film so much, it was just nice to see this next episode, but it felt very episodic. There was no... Well, 10 years, I and mean, it's a long time. I'm just talking about the idea of you're seeing, you know, um, uh, episode two. Yeah. When the first episode was, was great. And I'm, I wonder if in 10 years the gang will get all back together again for episode three just because they enjoy the experience so much. I felt a lot of jokes fell flat. A lot of jokes thudded. But I enjoy these characters so much that I'm not going to say you shouldn't see this film if you did too. But if you haven't seen Zombieland 1, that is where you should begin. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, 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 I think... I would agree with that. As I said earlier, I think it's the stronger film just because you're getting introduced to these characters. Mm -hmm. They're idiosyncratic. It's Mm -hmm. fun to see them kind of work out their sort of dynamics with one another. Those have been established for this film, so you don't quite get that. It's more, like you say, you've set up the parameters. you, You have the cast of characters. You have the setting. You have this world that they're in. And so this is like the second stage right and it's and it's all it's all pretty on the nose in the sense of the first film is how do we survive and the second film is how do we create a life within a world that we've learned that we can survive in right where where do we find how do we find love how do we find meaning and and then they do they do a nice fine job with all of that yeah but there is one more piece we need to discuss before we move on to how we like this beer the post credit sequence. Okay, I was well, gonna, I was gonna say, was it Berkeley and what a fuckhead he was? Well, yeah, that was I, a throwaway thing. It kind of it was. He had a good line with the weed, and he had a, he had a couple of good lines. The, the weed, the, uh, the weed part was good. My him favorite, trying to pass off uh, yes, Bob the, Dylan, uh, Bob Dylan as his own composition. That that, that was my, a funny. That was a moment. funny gag. But my favorite part in his arc was when Little Rock was like, "Fuck you! I know who Bob Dylan is, you piece of shit." Yes, <laughs> like, right, right. When she comes when back, he, yeah. when he like gets yeah. his comeuppance about it, and that's it, and he's just kind of like moping and yeah, and this zombie post-apocalyptic world you see that and free birds <laughs> you see that folks uh uh when they've learned that love is not going to be with this person it's just quick to move on to something else because yeah. the stakes are different than in, in life as we know it today right but the post-credit sequence so we talked about on <sighs> if the, i on, hated the movie well listen well, listen well, listen <laughs> let's set it up yes, we yeah. talked about on episode 43 uh-huh. how amazing that cameo by Bill Murray was mm-hmm. where again not knowing going into it at least I didn't yeah, that he was going to be there that kind of 
total surprise of, oh my God, Bill Murray playing himself in the post-apocalyptic zombie world that they've created. It really, it makes no sense when you watch the first film. It doesn't make sense. You're right. And and, and before you finish your thought, because I said that there were things in the trailer that I was afraid that they were going to overdo, another thing I was worried they were going to overdo was harp too much on the first one. Uh And and when I said there were things they referenced back and they kind of whatever, but... uh, did it didn't harp on it too much one of them was the killing of bill murray and there's a verb murray oh you're right you're right and so completely appropriate and so so when that happened it was like oh they have found something from the first one that they can bring back in an effective and um contextually appropriate way Without having to dwell too much on, hey, remember that thing we did last time? Right, you know? right. And it was I think so... It's Ros- Rosario Dar- Dawson's yeah, character. Yeah, and, and exactly. she said she's going to fucking said, kill I whoever. I almost murdered you because yeah. she almost mistakenly killed them thinking they were zombies. Yes, and when she explains then, what yes. that means, she's like, if I find out who the fuck killed Burma, Bill, Bill Murray, Murray, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. And I swear to God, I'll do it, whatever, and... Yeah. and fucking columbus is like oh okay i mean what's me i didn't know you know whatever yeah uh, me too i feel the same way if, if i knew yeah, who did that but, I'd kill them. yeah it was great as david was saying in the first one that cameo yeah was uh, so will we see bill murray in this super, one how right, could so, we he was the, killed the beauty, i would have never the beauty of the execution here is that the I film fig- goes I, by the i film figured they bring in another weirdo cameo right yeah. right and, Not murray. and it, there's been that little reference to murray and no new big star or something that's shown up, and it's just in credits start rolling, and then the credits get interrupted, and we get Columbus through voiceover saying, "Oh, you know, the, you know, in sort of uh, what was it like?" You'll recall the term "murraying." Yeah. yeah. And in order to even understand why Bill Murray was in the first film, because this is a very uh, fourth wall breaking movie. Yeah. Uh, you, we need to go back to the very beginning, and we see the right. origin of the zombie breakout. Yes, exactly. And so and and that's all done in the context of a press junket for the imagined Garfield 3, which th- that is one of like Bill Murray's sort of strange stories of his career is that he got kind of not duped exactly, but he fooled himself into doing the first Garfield because he thought it was the Cohen brothers uh-huh. who were doing it, but it was another film director with the name Cohen. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. That he thought, oh, the Cohen brothers are doing it. Sure, I'll sign on and do the voice for Garfield uh-huh. for a movie. Anyway, so he did the Garfield voice for the film. And, and clearly I'm, it's some kind of sore spot for him in the sense of I'm willing to completely well, lampoon and make fun of myself for doing it. But just a testament to what an amazing <laughs> individual he is that so he would totally buy into that. So it, it's in the context of that press junket uh-huh. where he's being interviewed by these people, including Al Roker. Al Roker. And they people start turning into zombies including al roker and yeah. he just do the hairball come on yeah. do the hairball <laughs> that was a good that and was then good. al he roker becomes a zombie ass. and then yeah. bill murray has to walk through a, a mall it looks like where uh, the hotel pres- lobby. Yeah, there yeah. You go. Yeah. and and begin killing just zombies while he as he dispatches them gives arnold from the running man right style horrible Cliches, one-liners, yeah, yes. one-liners from his movies. Yes. I ain't scared of no ghosts. Yes. As he kills a zombie. Yeah, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Thank Let's you. Just, yeah, yeah. No yeah. Ghosts, yeah. But yes, he but you, you should be he accurate. nails it. He nails it. Yeah, that was like, worth yeah. the price of admission. I don't even if I had hated the movie, even, that would have been awesome. Even before all that stuff starts, they're like, "Why'd you do Garfield 3? And he's like, 
Drugs are expensive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or drugs don't pay for themselves. Or yeah, yeah, like, like, yeah. It, it is. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're just like, man, I got to. It, know, it, was a it very, sounds like we really enjoyed ourselves. It was a very with this Nick one. I think this response. is one, again, you set it up, Joe, that, hey, this is a October with sort of a drought at the multiplex in terms of horror offerings. So, hey, if you can't get a straight up horror film, what's better than a real great send up of at least a subgenre of mm-hmm. horror? And to me, yeah, they came back ten years later, and they're doing something. I think on on the same level. If it's if it's not quite exactly the same, it it definitely has enough laughs in there that I don't think anybody who liked the first one is going to feel disappointed by this one. Well said. Yeah, I don't I think agree. we're going to be washing the uh, terrible taste of failure from our mouths. No, I think not that, on this one. So I think how, this was brilliantly executed. I was going to say, is it a twofer? Did we enjoy the beer as much as we enjoyed this film? Yeah. In I, equal measure. I think it's a, an excellent uh, barrel-aged imperial stout. Um, I don't know. It has all the stuff that we were talking about in the aroma, the chocolatey, mm-hmm. roasty, you know, super boozy. It's all there. Do you know what I was afraid of whenever um, we started? Because well, this is what we do. We pour it. We comment on the pour, comment on the color, comment on the aroma, mm-hmm. talk about the film, talk about the taste. Yeah. That boozy aroma... I was concerned that, that it was going to be too. It was going to be that booze thing we felt with the 120 minute IPA oh, when yeah. we had that. Yeah, it's different in a stout though. I like a booziness in a stout. This goes down smooth. It does. Yeah. This it is a, a, a delicious beer, and I only hope, David, that when you ordered this one, you ordered two, so I could come over to your house. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that hopping frog. I think that this beer was executed in a similar fashion of Zombieland Double Tap, in so far as that it was. Exactly what it set out to be. No more, no less. It didn't reinvent the genre of barrel aged stouts, but it did a barrel aged stout as well as you could hope to do it. All right, well put, well put. All right, wow. <laughs> we don't need to say anymore. That that, that well I mean, done. We could say more though. Great end of the first half. So, <laughs> uh, in our on our Facebook page right now, pinned to the very top is a question. We need to answer this question once and for all. What is yeah. the best horror film of all time? And we will read some of your responses in next week's episode. Yes. But I'm going to give you my answer after the break. You gave me some Doris. Well, you, well, you did tell them when we came back from the break. You, they, I'm, well, no, no, but Joe's right, because it's beer and a movie, so right. the beer comes first. Oh. Now, you gave us some Doris. What are you going to give us now? Taurus. What? <laughs> if the D stood for double. Taurus? <laughs> Again, from... Hoppin' Frog, not Hopping Frog. How dare you? Hoppin'. Hoppin' Frog. Um, this is Rocky Mountain Barrel Aged. <laughs> Why is it specified? Rocky Mountain Barrel Aged. I don't know what that means. Well, I, I mean, either. the last one was Bourbon Barrels. That's Kentucky. So okay. I guess, I'm guessing I, yeah. like this is like Colorado Bourbon Barrel, or okay. Colorado Whiskey Barrels. Regardless, or? it's Taurus the Tyrant instead of Doris the Destroyer, and that's Triple Oatmeal Russian Imperial Stout. It's triple a stout instead aged of double. in Whiskey Barrels. And, uh, okay, so aged in very special Colorado whiskey barrels to add a magnificent, complex, and satisfying character. All these great flavors make this rare version of a testament to our hard work and dedication in bringing our customers the very best, as stated before. This one's 13.8. That's right. I I, I still am curious. On on a double-hopped IPA, I understand Not double-hopped. Understood. Hold on. Uh, I would understand what that means. But a double and a triple oatmeal imperial stout... What are they doubling and tripling, David? 
Well, we talked about it, right? The doubling of the malt bill. The, the malt the putting, bill. Putting in more malt so that we have God more damn. sugars to ferment. We get more alcohol. Um, and I was questioning, do we need to say double imperial? Because imperial is kind of used interchangeably with double. Um, but here, I guess they're proving me wrong. They're saying like, oh, well, we can go even further. So we need to say one is the double. And now this is the triple. Is there the single? Is there a source? Is this a, is this a, if this is a triple oatmeal Russian imperial stout, does that make it a quadruple stout? I don't know. But if you pull out a chorus, you'll blow my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I would, uh, freak the fuck out if that happened. All right. 1969, a group of, uh, Cleveland based <laughs> ragtag independent filmmakers made the best horror film of all time in my opinion it is called night of the living dead it is the grandfather of all zombie films it invented the genre on film prior to this bella lugosi appeared in a piece of junk called white zombie which has nothing to do with the undead so this is kind Everything of to do with the band though. There there is a great film called I Walk with the Zombie that that but it's a different the kind of zombie. Predate predate? Yeah, that's um, that, that's don't, a don't, 1943 value. me wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> it's what it was, what you're right about is it is the absolute birthplace uh-huh. of the modern zombie film, the, the contemporary zombie There genre. is a virus, you lumber in an undead state, and you require the flesh and right. brains and uh, of the living the to, dead to won't sustain. Stay dead. I mean, really, if, we're, if we want to get super technical about it... I don't mind. Jesus is the birthplace <laughs> of the zombie. Okay, I'm going to leave you that zombie, right where be you Be born lumber. again, my friend. <laughs> won't you sign in, stranger? Uh, that, Skilly okay. Dan reference for those in the audience who... Now, I, Did you realize... If you haven't seen the original Night of the Living Dead, stop this podcast and go watch it right now. Because one of the three co-hosts is saying it is their favorite horror film. And I hope you guys next week when we answer that question with some of our listeners' answers, you guys will tell us what your favorite horror film of all time is. Okay. I'm just letting the cat, cat out of the bag because what a perfect... Because we're com- talking about it. What yeah. a perfect companion for Zombieland, the the, 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 right. the original. We even yeah. talked about doing this when we did Dead Don't Die. We, yeah. we thought yeah. maybe we should pair it with this. But we went, I think, More with comedic. Zombieland because of the comedic tone and Bill, Bill Murray, Murray, that there Bill was Murray. this Bill Murray connection. Yeah, right. So I, th- I think we, we saw a couple little points of connection there that we thought would be fun. But I'm absolutely excited that we have found the opportunity to bring this in. I do want to make a quick correction though because go ahead we are I know the correction. wanting to s- the, the year is 68 right yes i uh, there is some talk is about there is some talk about that the most interesting fact about this film in my opinion is that they were so novice filmmakers that they did not copyright their effort mm. so for years and years and years anyone could do a remake if they wanted to anyone could uh market the film if is, they had a print is that how return of the living dead happened i don't know the answer to that I that, know. I know that is, Romero. That's the Tom Zavini, Savini one. That's right? the eighties one. Okay. The girl New that's topless the whole time. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's, that it's also the first time that brains are ever mentioned as a zombie. Want? Oh, okay. Yes. Right. Right. I know that. Um, Funny story. Romero produced the remake so that he could nail down the remake and the title in a copyrighted oh. effort, and Tom Savini. Directed that bad guy. When yes, did the so yes. I'm thinking That's that right. No, that that you're right. That was the one that was the Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. remake. Yes, right. And I so that I, was I, in I the imagine 70s, right. No, that was ninety nineties. Yeah, yeah. Because because there was because yeah. there was Night of the Living Dead and there was Day of the Dead. 
was the next one, right? Day of the Dead. No, Dawn of the Dead. Oh, Dawn of the Dead. That's right, in the right, shopping right. mall. And then Day of the Dead. And yeah. then Day of the Dead is in a uh, government laboratory. Yeah. Okay, so there's so much to unpack here. Uh, uh, I, I, I can't bro- believe I missed Dawn. A brother and sister. You haven't seen I it? I have to quit this podcast. You haven't seen Dawn of the Dead? No, I've seen it, but I... Just oh, that you got the title wrong? Of, well, you have had a 10.3 <laughs> and you're working on a 13 point uh, whatever this is, 8 uh, ABV beer. So sometimes the senses can be numb. We, I think that we really owe so much to George Romero, like for the horror genre as it exists today. How so? I just, I think he created this like kind of tone that started with Night of the Living Dead and moved on to Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. And as, I mean, especially with the zombie thing, just, I mean, just the zombie thing alone, right? you know, we owe so much to him for that. But I mean, the work that he did with John Harrison doing the score for Day of the Dead and the work with Goblin doing Dawn of the Dead. I mean, yeah. th- there's just so much of everything that he did that works so well together that even though he wasn't working with maybe the largest budgets that you could find, right. the most you know seasoned actors that you could find, but he still had these really interesting, this really interesting concept mm-hmm. and was able to execute it with the limited resources that he had in a way that. Um, Maybe we wouldn't have had John Carpenter's Halloween without that. Maybe we wouldn't have had Black Christmas. Maybe I mean, there's so many other kind of smaller horror movies that without this Night of the Living Dead kind of jumping off point well, that we, we wouldn't have had. We talked about Slacker and Richard Linklater and how, how, how so many filmmakers said that the success of that film when it came uh, between the shooting budget of that very small independent film and then the gross and if he can do it i can do it i believe that many horror filmmakers certainly said that about george romero's night of the living dead you've got a brother and a sister that are visiting a relative at a cemetery a ghoul as it's called in the credits approaches them attacks the brother the sister runs off finds a farmhouse where there are five people that are holed up there because something's going on. They eventually find a television, and the television tells them everything that's going on, that there are what appear to be, and I can't remember the exact terminology, the undead, uh, the, right. the, the the goblins, I think, you know, uh, that, that are apt. And if you can, you need to set them on fire, if you can. that that They'll go up in an instant. But in the meantime, stay where you are, and the authorities will be there. And then it just becomes about paranoia, claustrophobia, working together in a um, very diverse socioeconomic group, if you consider 1968, yeah. uh, certainly when it was shot, then um, and, and, and an African-American uh, hero, uh, hero figure in the film. You don't see that much in 1968. Yeah. And then... A turn in the film where it goes from spook house movie to flat out gore filled for the time. Mm-hmm. And there is no happy ending in, no. in, in, in the film. <laughs> no. There, there is, is no we made it no. at the end of the uh, there, there, There's end a of glimmer the of hope that is snuffed out. Yeah, right. right. Do you know the first time I saw this movie? I don't. At the Alamo Draft House in the theater. Oh, oh wow. that would have been a nice experience. I don't think I've seen it on the big screen. Never never saw it before I saw it on the big screen. And how and was that experience? Loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it was this and a movie that we will also talk about, I think, in the next episode. Uh-huh. Um, first experience was on the big screen because of the Alamo Draft House. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, 
I love the experience of being able to see it in that in that way because I mean it really does kind of it I mean it's aged very well I think despite the fact that you know it it's low budget creeps out you you can see yeah, it in the corners yeah, you of can the, see of the it movie, you can hear it I mean everything it's so forgivable but you still find yourself really kind of and I think you find yourself really kind of engrossed in it and really um, captivated by it. And I think one of the things that really helps it, and and I think this is a thing that a lot of really great horror movies, when we look at the great ones, do well, is that opening sequence. Like, there's that opening sequence in The Night of the Living Dead where you see him, like, driving around, mm-hmm. and there's the, you know, everything about the mise-en-scene, the sound, the, everything that's going on in it really kind of eases you into this world mm-hmm. where once things really start ratcheting up, you're just there in it. You yeah. know what I mean? And uh, I think when horror movies fail is when it fails to kind of do that portion of it. The beginning of a horror movie, as slow as it may be, comparatively towards the end, is crucial to what's going to make it work or not work. Right. And David, I'm sure you're eager to give your two cents, but I'll say this. The, the stakes are so different because we've never seen anything like this. You have to almost go back into a time machine and imagine what audience would have, would have thought yeah. in 1969 when this yeah. thing came out. We don't know what a zombie is. We don't no. know the rules. We don't know... So important, the rules. <laughs> well, but, 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 now we, but now we take them we for granted. We, when we discuss a vampire film now, we, we know the rules of a vampire film, and we'll sometimes judge the film based upon whether they follow the rules that we believe should be followed. Right. Just in wait till next week, Joe. They're inventing the rules right in front of us. Yeah. That we yeah. don't know what these people are. We know that they're us, but yeah. they're not us. They're not dead. They're undead. And um, it's just beautifully done because we as the audience are learning what the threat is, even as the people on the screen are, which is something we take for granted now when we watch a horror film. We know all the tropes. We know that the, that the machete-wielding killer can walk at a very slow pace, but is actually walking in a fast pace. And all those other rules I don't need to go into right now. Yeah. We're seeing them happen in front of us. That's what's so beautiful about this movie. I yeah. agree. David, I, what did you think about it? I mean, it, it's an absolute classic. Um, I mean, I, I came to it a little bit later. I I believe I'd actually already seen Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead before I ever saw it. How did you know what was going Dead? on in those films right, without seeing the first one? Not similar to you, not yeah. only had I seen Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, but before I saw either of those, I saw the Dawn of the Dead remake by Zack Snyder before he turned into to- a total oh, piece yeah. of shit director. Yeah. <laughs> and I also that saw... Dawn of the Dead remake is solid. And I also saw Land of the Dead. Oh. Yeah. And... Diary of the Dead, maybe? Or I think, it. I think Survival Land of the Dead. Of the dead. And, and, and Return of the Living Dead before I ever sure. saw Night yeah, of the Yeah, yeah. No, I think, thinking back, actually, and it, it jogged my memory actually seeing Zombieland uh, double tap in the theater that they had shown in the pre-show the trailer for Return of the Living Dead, which I had not seen the trailer. I, maybe I had never seen the trailer, but I remember vividly seeing in the newspaper the ad, uh-huh. the print ad for that film. Which had a, and that was such a good movie. That was, I must have been about seven years old. That made an impression on you, I know it. Oh, it definitely did. Yeah. I was, and I remember seeing it, and I'm like, they make movies that have that kind of look to like right. i want to see a movie yeah. like that Fuck it was yeah you do it was a few years later can, can i the pig- tar monster can i piggyback on that story go in 
our city's newspaper when I was about seven. Mm-hmm. You may not have been born yet. Okay, calm down. <laughs> no, 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 no. You had been. You had yeah. been. I couldn't <laughs> remember how much older I was than you. Uh, Get it, Joe. You're was, old. Was a ad for, and I would like to g- almost go to the library and look through the microfiche to see if I can find a mm. full cheese zombie. Oh, wow. Do you remember so that, that poster? That, that, that ugly zombie face? I, I've seen, the, full I've seen z- it now, zombie? but I, I, yeah, I didn't you see it. If it was film? 80, I was eight years old. So yeah. that freaked me out. Oh, it was so yeah. funny because that's the only place there was no internet. That was the place where right. you got movie information right. was yeah. the newspaper. Yeah. And it was a full page of the newspaper right. of the of the movie ads and reviews almost every single day of the week. Yeah. Wow. So so I remember, you know, so this whole idea of the living dead had it was something that I was like, ooh, I wanted to So I remember renting those movies uh-huh. at the video store and then but then eventually becoming I don't know, whatever, you know, film savvy, mm-hmm. film, enough film knowledge that at some point in high school, some friends and I decided, oh, well, we need to see the original. We need to see where this kind of came from right. in getting Night of the Living Dead. And I remember that initial feeling of disappointment when it came on. It was black and white. Right. And I remember feeling, well, the, no. You know, that, no, no, I get it. I get it. A, a hurdle that I have that's certainly my overcome then. Hurdle. No, yeah. that, sure. that was definitely, I was I was of that ilk at the time. Where you, it was like you, a, you didn't realize then that that was just a budget requirement. Well, not even that, but yeah. that people were still making films in black and white. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, look, the first time I saw the original Friday the 13th and I didn't see a hockey mask in it, so disappointed. <laughs> Had right. no idea. Right, you right. Know, I get it. So, so I remember going in and, and, and feeling that kind of initial disappointment, but then getting to, you know, that, that opening sequence, the brother and sister, the visiting, you know, all that, and just instantly forgetting that that was a hang up that I, like that hang up went away. And then once I get to the farmhouse and it's all these people just interacting and and i think that you know watching it again what as many budget limitations as this film maybe has one thing that it did amazingly well is they got great performances out of these people like who are not you know, I mean, actually, I believe the guy who played Ben did go on to, I mean, he had a career in theater I'm and did sure. a lot of other stuff. Um, but these aren't people who became big names. No. They aren't people who had huge careers. These are on, quite on Cleveland-based actors, I But imagine. they did great work in in this small setting, um, just working out these very human kind of yeah. conflicts, uh, you know, that were very much tied into racial and socioeconomic class uh-huh. kind of struggles. That, that and, were and also going personal on. motivation. Yeah, absolutely. Ben's absolutely. alone. The sister's alone. She's comatose right. because yep. she saw what happened to her brother. Right. So Ben is going to be a little bit of a help to her. But uh, and down in the basement is a family. Mm-hmm. And and they they've got that family instinct. Right. Of, we are the, here to protect right. one We're another. We're protecting ourselves. Before yeah. you is us. Right. Uh, this this little group. Right. And then the little uh, teenage couple so that it, are just dumb and naive. And not that I could think. Not that I was thinking in those terms when I was a teenager seeing it for the mm-hmm. first time. But certainly now I can appreciate that. Like sort of that it creates this microcosm of society yeah. in this very tight, intense, yeah. <laughs> tight space. That you see play out, and again, then the gore that comes later and all that is 
believe me, I enjoy that as well. I'm and sure it, and you it, and your high school it, buddies thought that was like the coolest <laughs> part of the yeah, whole. No, yeah, no, I mean, we were waiting for that. We're right. like, but I realize how important it was to have that build up and to have like these tensions between these characters before that uh-huh. horror really starts erupting in the way that it does and the explode, you know, the gas tank and all that stuff. It's just, there's, I don't know, it, like Romero and and his crew, they, I mean, they had a great concept that they kind of stumbled onto. You know, that's the funny thing, like re- reading the background behind this, like it wasn't like they had some amazing vision right out of the gate like oh we could make a movie about this like they had like three or four different ideas before they ever settled on this one they just wanted to tell a story that pushed buttons yeah. and that got people into seats because it was so on on the margin you know it was so pushing the envelope of 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 what could be done but they ended up stumbling into something that became genre defining do you know what year black sunday came out the original uh, it's 70 something so okay. it's definitely after which is of course the no pre- I think that was even earlier than that but yeah it was the precursor of course of Friday the 13th and then you've got um, well wait are well, you, no, 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 no. are you talking about the, you're talking about the one that John Williams scored Black Sunday no 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 I'm talking about oh, shit I hope I'm not there's a 1960 Black Sunday that was made by Mario Bava. Correct. That's the that's the precursor for Friday okay. the Thirteenth. That's not the one. So that that's I've back seen. in 1960. When did Black Christmas come out? 70, 76. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about these early formative. The, the Black th- Sunday the, I was thinking of came out in 77. The things that made American horror. And when I say made American horror, I'm talking well, about Black Christmas Friday the Thirteenth. Um, I know, but I'm talking about. You're talking about Halloween. You're talking about the right. of the Dead series. Right. You're talking about, but the, but the precursors Nightmare to that, on Elm Street. The first yeah. the first phase that made what we know the the iconic the you know and what originally yeah. came Nightmare on Elm Street. What originally became. I think, know. I think that if we're I think that if we're talking about slasher movies, that regardless of what may or may not have come before it, that Black Christmas is what we like. Oh, right. All of our... I'd say go back to Black Sunday, but we don't have to split split those hair. Black Black Sunday is not really a slasher film. I mean, I think think we may be thinking of different films. I'm talking out of my ass right now, aren't I? Well, no, no, no. It's 13.8, isn't it? No, no, no. It's 13.8. No, you're talking about... You're you're talking about horror in a broader sense. I'm talking about the birth of it all. And I'm talking about more... I'm... My view of what i'm saying is more specifically to slasher right you're talking about horror in a broader sense so you're not wrong you're correct you've got this that creates zombies you've got the birth of the slasher just you know a a decade or less later later. a few years later yeah. and then it began to make so much money you know and the return on the investment was so large right and that and that started with Halloween. Sure. The return on the investment part of it, uh-huh. where it was like, oh well, shit, that, we can make that, money. That became super profitable. But I mean, there was there was a history of exploitation films from the late 1950s into the 60s that were making decent money. Sure. Not not Halloween, not profits, blockbuster money, right? You know, th- not that kind of thing. But that were you know like um, Two Thousand Maniacs uh-huh. and that you know like Herschel Gordon Lewis uh-huh. and. Uh, um, there were these people who were doing these things that were sort of, to us, probably seemed tame. You'd sure. watch it and you would not think like, oh, this is so great. But at the time, we're pushing the You hadn't seen anything right? like it before. I mean, after Psycho, Psycho is a film that yeah. a lot of people point to yeah. as being an envelope-pushing film at the time that pushed horror One into... One of my favorite films. Right. 
For sure. And, and that kind of touched off a tidal wave of these people like, well, we can make films like that on a pretty right. small budget. We're not we Hitchcock, but right. <laughs> they won't have the Hitchcock flair or the Hitchcock and so, you know, style. The, and, and I think Romero is in that he wave, got, he got, right? He Romero got was was yeah. on that wave. And I think, the, you know, I think the craziest part about what Romero did is that now to us in 2019, it seems kind of rudimentary. But to really think about at the time how new and groundbreaking this was. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's it's really as people, all of us that were not around at that time, kind of hard to fathom yeah. what it was like to have gone to a theater yeah. and seen something like this that we had never seen before. When's the last time that's happened to you in a modern time? Going to see something you've never, like, I've seen it all, but I've never quite seen it just like this. Can you recall like a, a cinematic experience that you... I don't... In the recent past? I don't think that I... I mean, I think that... Hobbs and Shaw? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if I had to guess it, when that would happen, it'd probably be Jungle Cruise. Uh, somewhere <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I, I think that that... Um, we got to do Jungle Cruise just because I'm gonna I think I'm, I'm going to hate the I'm gonna shit out it. of that thing. Uh, oh, that, my God. That one, and uh, there was another one I saw a preview for before zombie land that i was like i'm gonna make mm. these fuckers do an episode on this no it's, um but no i i, I think that do, the do you la- understand my point though no but I, we miss that no but i i think i have an answer to your question okay. i think the last time that i saw a movie that really shook me and where i was like i don't think i've ever seen anything quite like this in film before was the safety brothers heaven knows what okay I think that was the first time I saw huh. a movie where I was like, I think I don't I mean, maybe I mean the closest equivalent to it would be like Requiem for a Dream or something yeah. like that but I don't think I'd ever seen something as raw and visceral and, in my head, and intense as what they presented in Heaven Knows What see in my head I'm going back to like maybe The Matrix you know I mean yeah, yeah. okay yeah which was what 90 300 uh, that was 2000 it was well no 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 it was 99 99 300 was another one. I mean, that presented an entirely huh. new kind of visual, visual vocabulary style, yeah. and things like For that. For me, I, I mean, I think one of the only times that I really remember going into the theater and kind of walking out like just oh. dumbstruck, like I didn't even know what to do with it, was happiness. Going to see the movie mm. Happiness. Mm-hmm. What is I that? Just, I don't think I'm familiar. Todd Solo. <laughs> We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to do it. We're gonna have I'm to. I'm assuming, do it, by, based on the name, that it's really sad. We got to get a high ABV. Oh, it. I is... don't mean to take us way off track. I was just. But my, no, it's a good my question. Po- my it's a point question. being, imagine being a kid in the theater, thinking that horror was the the, not even the tail end because we're talking 20 years later from a, from the Universal monsters or yeah, the Blob with Steve McQueen, you know, or the Thing from Howard Hawks. There you go. And so here comes wow, here comes something that I've never ever seen before. Mm-hmm. I I think that we take for granted film now. I I mean I agree with yeah. you. Yeah, my point's done. Well, it, it, no, it's, it's not that it's I done. Mean, I mean, we, I think the the point is is that this film is one of those films yeah. that it's very hard to realize, and unless you really spend time looking, watching a lot of films in the horror genre and thinking about the history of it and thinking about how it's evolved over time, to fully be able to appreciate what it did in its time. And again, like I said, coming to it as a teenager as I did in the nineteen nineties. I had none of that awareness. You know, I mean, I had an awareness that 
oh, it led to these films that I've liked and that I want to see right. where yeah. it comes from. So I had that, but it's only been as I've seen lots of things over the years that I can return to something like this and have that kind of not even the actual experience, but an awareness of, oh, that must have been incredibly shocking and and just sort of, you know, um, pivotal, right? I mean, like you walk in and you, you've never seen anything like this before, and yet what comes after it is so informed by it, and then it touches off this, you know, dozens of films yeah. since that absolutely walk in yeah. its footsteps yeah it's i mean it, it is <sighs> classic it is from our perspective in time hard to fathom yeah mm. i will say so from our perspective in time is it hard to fathom a triple oatmeal, oatmeal russian, russian imperial <laughs> stout? there was a metallic wang on that double in the first half of the episode oh, I, didn't, that so. I, I, didn't I, I that. felt I didn't you guys that. were so gushy that i just went, went along with you <laughs> you, should, you should never do that this beer this beer perfect see i'm actually hot damn to me i preferred the double and we're, and we're talking about the I hopping think, frog yeah. uh taurus the Taurus-y. tyrant that's right. a triple oatmeal this is really boozy so door I, I was right there so doris the destroyer i thought had a bit more balance to it mm-hmm. where the entire package mm-hmm. kind of came together in this way and you were saying it was easy to sip it was easy it was. to kind of just and i was throwing that this right. one I'm in, I'm drinking it. My glass is emptying, and I'm re- <laughs> right. But with each sip, I'm feeling. You're it. doing oh, your job. I am, I am feeling. Yeah, this there beer. is there is a booze element there that was not as profound in. The okay, stores. then I enjoy that booze element because I'm finding this to be a more uh, satisfying experience. Well, this is why Here's, we make different beers for different tastes. I and, yeah. I I agree with that, David, and I, you know, as. As the months have been going by in 2019 and we're getting closer to the end of it, I know that I have said on this podcast before and I've said it in my day-to-day life that I do not understand people that refuse stouts in the summer. Uh-huh. I, I'm a year-round stout guy. Okay. But I am hitting this rhythm hitting. of this stout kind of craze that I'm having where I'm just like, I just want all the stouts. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't want lighter stuff. I don't want hoppier stuff. I want dark i want rich i you know and this is this is hitting the spot for me but i think the doris hit it a little better because okay. it was a more well-balanced beer uh this one is really boozy and that's but, the uh, gimmick but, of this beer too but, let's be honest but We're i'm tripling. not but oh, i'm yeah. not gonna act like i don't like a really boozy stout i love a super boozy stout. no i mean right. it's like it's like, drinkable it's like not the, there's nothing i'm just if i'm putting them back to back which yeah. it's not have, unpleasant i would say hey what is your next four ounce pour gonna be <laughs> i would go to back to the doris i go back okay. to the doris um, but i mean you know stuff like this like the tweak from avery um <laughs> that's 17 percent. it's right? 17 yeah the um, double barrel maple one that they have at Tapology right now that's also from Avery I, I went and had that one the other day I mean that's another well, really you get to Tapology our local beer bar with 40 awesome taps 40 and, craft taps and, and you go with the stouts. I go with the booziest stout they have I mean but that's like that's my shit you know mm-hmm. and I love this beer that we're having the Taurus but if I had to put it back to back, I think the doors, I could throw those back easier. You know? Yeah. I, it's, well, it's it, more simple. Yeah. This one, with every sip I take, I'm like, whoo. Yeah. I'm not having whoo. the whoo, which doesn't mean well, good, anything. Good. I'm no, just saying just, that it, I prefer means... this over the other and two before the doors, but uh, Hop and Frog, I think we're all happy with. 
Yes. Yeah. I, hey, I'm very impressed. This, these are actually, I think, the first Hoppin' Frog beers that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. So, I'm glad someone finally uh, well, I'm so glad that Hoppin' Frog will be commemorated forever at Beer in a Movie as our Hundreds. 100th brewery. 100th! Right. <laughs> All right, fantastic. That was a yeah. fantastic sound effect Thank you just did. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I mean it. It seems like we we won. This episode has just been all around fantastic. There yeah. is no failure to be washed from our mouths whatsoever. No, it's None. just a big celebration of great horror and horror comedy and uh, great big, big boy huge beers. stouts. And we're doing our best <laughs> in October to keep the horror coming because yeah. next week. That's do we right. Want to tell them our, the next our, week our, we're our, having no, a no 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 uh, save it. Next week is going to be... But let it be known that on Halloween Eve... We have right? some We're Halloween talking horror. Can I say that? There, yeah, we're absolutely. Talking we're going to keep the we're horror talking, going. Um, and we're recording it tonight, which means we've <laughs> had these two beers inside of us before we get started. Inside Can of I us. Can I say that? was dirty. <laughs> it's like my taint. It was explicit. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> my wife listens to this. We were... T- so does mine. She's going to be home any minute now to interrupt our recording, probably. <laughs> she just uh, wants to sip. Uh, yeah. Not of this. She hates dark beers. <laughs> but next week, yes. We next will week, be, what are our wives we, like? We, we will be talking um, masterful horror. Ooh. If that's not enough of a hint, mm-hmm. then you really are not familiar enough with horror to understand what I'm talking about. But tell us how you felt about Zombieland Double Tap. Do you think Night of the Living Dead holds up? Do you think it's overrated? Do you think whatever? Just Just tell us what you think about it. You can do that by uh, following us and tweeting us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and a Movie TX. And as always, you can find us at, uh, you can find us at slash on, I couldn't decide which one I was going to say, uh, Beer and a Movie Podcast.com. That will give you a link to listen to this episode, our last episode, all the previous episodes before that. Um, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. When you subscribe, that helps you stay abreast on all of the most recent episodes. You get updated about those. But if you rate and review, that really helps us to know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you want to see more of in the future. It helps us really refine our format. So we appreciate you for doing that. Um, but I think other than that, we've really run the gauntlet of horror. Horror comedy, the origins of modern horror. I mean... I really don't know what else to say. But until next time, it's time to put up or shut up.